We'll be in John chapter 18 this morning as we continue through John on Sunday mornings. John chapter 18. We are now watching the corruption of religious justice as Jesus, who has been arrested and bound, is placed on trial before the council and then before Pilate. We've already studied Jesus before the Jewish council and we saw how corrupt this process was. They claimed that they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. But all Jesus ever did was speak the truth. And that just happened to go against what they wanted to hear. Having found Jesus guilty, quote unquote, they then take Jesus bound. They stand Him before Pilate, who was the Roman governor over Judea. The Jews had lost their right of capital punishment through their court system. So in order for them to have Jesus put to death, He's going to have to be brought through the Roman court system because Pilate has the authority to issue an execution against somebody. Remember, the council wants Jesus dead because in their minds... If Jesus dies, it proves He's a fraud, that He's not the Messiah, that He was a fake, because they expected the Messiah to bring in an earthly kingdom, to take Israel out from under Gentile dominance, reestablish the throne and the kingdom in Israel. So if they can get Him killed, it should prove to everybody that this man was no different than any other people that have tried to lead an uprising, lead a group of people, so forth. They also, no doubt, would have believed the Old Testament Scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about when somebody's hanged on a tree, he's a curse. He's got sin in his life. They would have proved that, in their minds, that Jesus was a sinner and that He was under a curse. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. Now that wasn't referring to crucifixion in and of itself, but that's how the Apostle Paul took it. He references that passage in Galatians 3.13 where he said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He understood that by Jesus dying, it was not a sign of His defeat, but it was actually a sign of His victory. Amen. That through Christ's death, we have redemption and we have the shedding of blood where we can have our sins removed. And the council, they understand that when the Messiah would come, that He would be a king. The problem was they weren't looking at this spiritually. They're looking at this earthly. They're looking at this politically. And so by this man coming on the scene, claiming to be the Messiah, where's his kingdom? Of course, we know that Jesus was establishing a spiritual kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. His death was victory. Amen? It was victory over death. It was victory over sin. It was victory over the devil. And through Christ's death, His burial, His resurrection, He ushered in eternal life to whosoever will put their faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. The Bible says that Christ is the power of God and that He is the wisdom of God. 
In other words, it is a riddle to the lost because how is it that a man who is put to death has any power? How is it wise to say that if you die, you're now the king? It's a mystery. The lost, they don't understand it. But once their mind turns to Christ, the veil's removed, now they can understand what the Bible is teaching and what it is telling us. That happened to all of us, amen? Amen. There was a point when we didn't know nearly what we thought we did. (laughs) Amen. All you good Baptists raised in a Baptist church. Yeah, the day came you realized you were a lost, wicked sinner in need of a Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm trying not to preach, okay? Because I know we've got people in for Christmas and they'll think that their parents are whack if they attend this church. And so, stay focused. Well, after standing before the Jewish council and now standing before Pilate, Pilate wants to know from Jesus whether he's a king or not. And again, I'm just recapping from last week. Remember, Rome, they're not threatened by a man who would claim to be the Son of God. Okay, Breck, you're the Son of whatever. It it does, does nothing to me if I'm a Roman in those days, and yet if somebody were to claim they were a king, well, now that's a threat. A king's going to have followers and he might lead an insurrection. He's going to want to expand his territory. And so Rome would have took notice if anybody was claiming to be a king. And so Pilate, he gets right to the point. He asks Jesus, art thou the king of the Jews? And that's where we'll pick up from last week. I'm not going to recap all we covered from last week. If you've missed the last two weeks, please go back and listen to get all the details of what has led up to this point. It'll be a benefit to you. So with that, we are going to read the same set of verses. John chapter 18, let's read verses 28 through 40 again. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Jesus says in verse 36 that He has a kingdom, but that His kingdom was not of this world. And I can imagine that Pilate would now look at Jesus and think, well, He's innocent, but He's crazy. He's got a kingdom that's not of this world. 
Okay, buddy. Whatever you want to believe. Are you a threat to Rome? Well, I find no fault in this man, and, and so he, he may think Jesus is crazy. I don't know, but he's trying to figure this out the best he can. He can. And so Pilate, being the judge, he, he does ask again, Art thou a king then? To which Jesus replies, Thou sayest that I'm a king. And I just love this exchange because this would drive me insane if I was trying to get to the bottom of this. Jesus goes on to say, To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I didn't have time to get into all of this last week. I do want to take just a moment this morning to talk a little bit about who Pilate was. We talked a little bit about Annas. He's kind of the godfather. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who's now the high priest. And now Jesus is standing before Pilate. Who is this man, Pilate? What do we know about him from Scripture? We can learn from Luke 13.1 that Pilate was a vicious man. It says over there that there were present at that season some that told him, these are these that are coming to Jesus, some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Interesting. So Pilate, secular history suggests that there was a Galilean who had rose to some prominence and he had gained a following. And what he was doing was he was encouraging his followers to revolt against Rome. And again, Rome's not going to tolerate that. So Pilate learns of these Galileans that are interested in rebelling against Rome. And so what Pilate does is when these men come down to Jerusalem for the Passover, he has them killed. This is some time before our text, but he has them killed. And their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. Some people say that maybe it was even more purposeful than that, that not only did he have them killed and their blood was spilled, but then he actually purposely took their blood, mingled it with the blood of the sacrifices, and had those offered. And so we see Pilate didn't mess around. When he thought somebody was a threat, he would take care of that. The Romans were more than ready to kill anybody who they perceived as a problem. We see this in the days of Herod the Great. Remember that when Jesus was born, they, the wise men show up. Where is He that is born? King of the Jews. And what happens? Herod decides to have all the babies two years and under killed in an effort to protect his position. And so the, Rome did not mess around with this. If you were a problem, they just took you out. And so there's this man, whoever he was, some Galilean, he tried to bring people away from following Rome. And it makes sense, we don't know this for sure, but some would suggest that perhaps it was the man who's mentioned in Acts chapter 5 and verse 37. I believe it's Gamaliel there. He's standing before the council and he's saying, hey, if this Jesus thing, if there's anything to it, he'll have a following. If it's not, it'll fade away. And uh, if it be of God, you can't stop it. Remember all that? Well, he says over there in Acts 5.37 that there was a man who led many people away named Judas of Galilee. Could very well be the same man. We don't know for sure, but I find that an interesting connection. Whoever he was, we were told in secular accounts that Pilate sends this band of soldiers um, to come and kill these men. So anyway... Pilate, he's no different than Herod. He decides that if anybody's going to stand in my way, threaten my position, threaten my little area of Judea, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to take them out. And so he had these men killed. And not only was Pilate vicious, we see in that that he's also a self-seeking individual. We learn in Mark's account that Pilate was ready to release Jesus. 
He had found no fault in Jesus. He said Jesus was innocent, but because he's willing to content the people, the Bible says, he released Barabbas unto them instead of Jesus. And the Jews had cried out, get this now, this is where his, uh, he understands that he's got to make a decision. The Jews cried out to him and said, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whoa. Well, he's going to take note of that. He doesn't want any bad publicity. Amen. I mean, he may be wicked, but he ain't stupid. He isn't stupid, okay? And so they say, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. So Pilate would kill if necessary, but he really wanted to keep the peace if he could. He wanted to keep Rome out of his affairs. Not only was Pilate cruel and self-seeking, but it would seem from John 19.10, that we'll see in a future message in the next chapter, that Pilate was also a very proud man. Jesus was not answering Pilate. Uh, Jesus was as a, he was dumb, the Bible says, before a lamb, as a lamb before his shears, and he didn't open his mouth. Well, he's before Pilate. He's, he's not, Pilate's not getting anywhere with him there in John 19. And, and G- Pilate says, Jesus, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? The man was just full of pride. Pilate was also a shrewd man. We learn from Matthew 27 that he understood the real reason why the Jews had brought Jesus before him. It wasn't because Jesus was a malefactor as they were proclaiming, but Pilate understood that the Jews had delivered Jesus up because they were envious of Jesus. They they were wanting that attention Jesus was getting and they didn't want that following going after Jesus when it could be going after them. And Pilate understood all this. Pilate was very discerning and he understood what was taking place. He knew what the real problem was that they had with Jesus. And so we find this man, Pilate, uh, he's a wicked man. And anytime you put those attributes together of somebody who's vicious and self-seeking and proud and all these things, you got a recipe for trouble. Amen. And so here he is. Uh, I believe the secular history records that he was in power for 10 years as the governor in Judea. And so before we pick up where we left off last week here in our text, I want to bring up one more thing that we would find in, in order in, from Luke 23. When Pilate first comes out and he tells them, I find no fault in this man, the council, the Bible says over there, was more fierce in saying this, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Well, when Pilate heard the word Galilee, he kind of perked up. And he asked, is this man a Galilean? Because, see, Pilate's jurisdiction didn't extend into Galilee. That would be under the Herod, who at that time was Herod Antipater, the son of Herod the Great. And so he hears Galilee, and he asks, is this man a Galilean? Well, come to find out, okay. So he says, you know what? He needs to go before Herod. We don't have that account in John, but Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. And I think Pilate at this point is saying, Good, I don't have to mess with this any longer. I can get this off my plate. This can go before Herod. It's his jurisdiction, and I can be done with this. I think that's probably what's going through his head. I don't know. So he sends Jesus before Herod. Herod just happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover during this time. So it's not like they had to shift Jesus all the way up to Galilee. They're all right there in the same city during this time. Herod had desired to see Jesus, the Bible says. He had heard about what Jesus was doing, what he was about, the miracles he was performing. And so he decides, yeah, I'd I'd like to see Jesus. So he agrees to have Jesus stand before him on trial. Now what Herod was hoping was, maybe Jesus will perform some miracle and I'll get to see it. 
That would be cool. Amen. I mean, I would like to see some guy raised from the dead. I mean, if I'm hearing this stuff's going on, I want to see it, you know. If he's turning water into sweet tea, I'm there. Amen. <laughs> Whatever the miracle. He, he's heard these things and he's desirous to see Herod and Herod agrees to it and he takes the case. The Bible says that Herod questioned him with many words, but that Jesus answered him nothing. In Luke 23, 10 through 12, the Bible says, And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught. And that means they had no respect for Jesus. They set him at naught. They mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Well, some believe that Pilate and Herod were at odds because of the fact that Pilate had murdered these Galileans. These men were from Herod's jurisdiction. And Pilate had these men murdered without going through Herod, and Herod got his feathers ruffled up saying, you don't respect my authority, you're usurping my authority. They had become enemies. But when Pilate has Jesus brought before Herod, all of a sudden they have common ground now. They both mocked Jesus. They had a common opinion of Christ, even though they had been at odds against each other. And it amazes me how divisive Christ is, but it also amazes me how people unite around their common opinion of Christ. Is that not why we're here today? We have a common opinion on who Christ is. And I find this little bit of information interesting. I'll just say it's interesting to me. We're seeing these two men become friends because they both now have a same opinion about Jesus. This is not uncommon. You'll find in your New Testament that when Jesus first showed up on the scene in accomplishing His public ministry, the Pharisees and the Herodians didn't much like each other. But they became friends because they both hated Christ. And they began to gain um, group up together in their opinions of Christ. Nothing divides like people's opinion about Christ. And in turn, nothing unifies those various groups together like their opinion of Christ. And what we are witnessing in America today is the beginning, the unifying of people against God's children. I don't know if you've had your head in the sand over the last year. It's time to wake up. God's people have been too silent for too long. And when we're silent, it basically says we don't care what happens. And we better get our act together and know where we stand. You need to get up to date on what's taking place out there. By the grace of God, we've been protected here in South Dakota. But don't let that lull you to sleep. We have states telling casinos they can open up, but churches need to close. That's wicked. We have states telling strip clubs they need to be open, but churches need to stay home. You hear what I'm saying? We have states that are telling liquor stores you need to stay open, but churches, you need to close. Or if you're going to open, you can only have ten and you can't sing. They have no right to tell us what to do. We cannot stand by and just let it happen. 
But we must learn to stand for what the Bible says. And I'm not going to kowtow to any group that says you need to shut your doors while the other establishments are allowed to go on and do what they want to do. We're heading to the place where groups and factions who once were divided among themselves are now united together because we have a common purpose. We don't like the Christians. I mentioned this in the first service. I reckon I'll mention it now. I don't know how many of you know who Chris Cuomo is. He's the brother of the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. He works with CNN. He was interviewing a lady from, a senator from Hawaii back in October, and he took offense to the fact that Amy Barrett, who replaced Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, that her faith was more than just a Sunday faith. Now, where does he get off saying that? I'll tell you where. Too many Christians are Christians on Sunday and no other time. You see, his idea was, you know what? I don't care if you're a person of faith. You just keep that in the church house and don't let that start to interrupt your policies. What? Why not? Your doctrine affects your policy. Why shouldn't my doctrine affect my policy? Are we having fun this morning? Did I tell you Happy New Year yet? I'm being sweet. Just think about what happened this year. How is it that groups could march in unison against racial injustice in the thousands? I think Oakland had 50,000 one weekend. And I'm not against them marching and protesting. Praise God. They have a right to protest. I have a right to meet. That's not the point. The point is this. Nobody rose up and said, you're spreading the virus. But if you meet in church, by God, you're spreading the virus. There's a problem. It's hypocrisy. And it's unifying around a common enemy. God bless you, sister. I'm going to pretend that was an amen. Just keep your eyes on all that's taking place. Because I'll tell you, this is not just a battle for our civil liberties. This is a battle for our religious liberties. Well... Herod and Pilate, they get past their issues. They're buddies now. They have common ground on who Christ is. And they can now stand together. And the reason I say they had common ground in mocking Christ is because while they both found no fault in Jesus, Herod, his men of war, probably was more like his bodyguards, his band, they took Jesus and they put a gorgeous robe on him, the Bible says. And that gorgeous robe means it was radiant. It was bright. The word is sometimes, the Greek word is sometimes translated white. And they were mocking Jesus' innocence. I find no fault in Him at all. And they put this white robe on Him to mock the fact that He's on trial. Well, when Jesus comes back before Pilate, we'll see here next chapter, Pilate's going to have a scarlet robe his men are going to put a scarlet robe on Jesus to mock his royalty. And so you have these two groups of men that both say Jesus is innocent, yet they're both mocking him. One's mocking his innocence, the other's mocking his royalty. And there's a lot of details we could get into all of this by piecing all four gospel accounts together. But I'm going to try to move on here in John 18. Let's look at verse 37 one more time. It says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? 
Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Or meaning, they understand it. Pilate, he's having a hard time putting all this together, and he's doing his best with the information that he has. And Jesus, the reason Pilate's having a hard time Jesus is answering his carnal questions spiritually. Art thou the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. So are you a king then? Thou sayest, Ugh. And so Pilate, he's doing the best he can here, but he's not connecting the dots. But notice what Pilate asked Jesus in the beginning of verse 38. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Now let's pause right here for just a moment. What is this that we have been witnessing? Here's Pilate examining Jesus. But I want you to get this. What's really happening is Jesus is examining Pilate. He's asking all these questions. Jesus responds to Pilate and says, Those who are of the truth, hear my voice. Pilate asks, What is truth? This isn't Jesus on trial, but this is Pilate on trial. And get this scene in your mind. Here's this exchange between these two men. Jesus concludes with, Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate asks, What is truth? Well, Pilate's asking the right person. Amen? Amen. What is truth? If you're on a search for truth, Jesus is the right person to ask. So how do we ask for truth in our day? Well, we go to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. You see, the Bible just doesn't contain truth. It is truth. Jesus is the Word of God. And we go to the Word of God for truth. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We go to the Word of God. But look at what Pilate does immediately after asking what is truth. I want you to get this scene in your head. He asked in verse 38, what is truth? And then it goes on to say, And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. So he's asking for truth, which is a good start, but notice what he does. He leaves before Jesus can even give an answer. You catching that? What is truth? And then he walks out. Jesus just got done saying, the purpose for me being born into this world is that I might bear witness of the truth. What is truth? And then he walks out. What a shame. Pilate's response has been the answer of so many down through the ages. What is truth? And what they do is they walk out with their own opinions. Well, I find in him no fault at all. Never knowing what truth is. And in Pilate's response, I see how many people, they're just okay simply concluding that whatever truth might be, I have no issue with it so long as I don't have to be confronted with it. I don't really know what truth is, but from what I've examined, I know that I have found no fault in Jesus. Now don't bother me with it anymore. I don't want to hear about it. I'm just not going to allow it to impact my life. There probably was a man named Jesus. He probably was a good man. He probably was a well-intentioned reformer. Just made a wrong move. 
Whoever he was, or maybe he is, it doesn't really affect me. There are so many we have met who have an opinion of Jesus, but really they have no idea what truth is. And they think that avoidance makes the truth go away. And this goes for all truth for that matter. Not just on who Jesus is. How about the issue of heaven and hell? Well, I don't think hell exists, and so therefore my God wouldn't allow any to be damned. Really what you're saying is my opinion of who God is trumps the Word of God. And whether you realize it or not, you've created your own God after your image. Well, God's not going to allow anybody to be damned. Then what are you going to do with Mark 16, 16? Where Jesus said, He that believeth not shall be damned. Or how about 2 Thessalonians 2, 12, which says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Or what is the wrath which Jesus came to save us from? Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. It's all right. Let the Word of God hit you. Don't don't fight it this morning. What's the wrath? What is it we were saved from? And I mention this particular issue because there are many in so-called churches and their numbers are growing exponentially who have forsaken the truth in favor of their own opinion on eternal destinations. And you can pick the doctrine. I don't care. You pick whatever doctrine you want. And what you'll find is once you begin to show people from the Bible what is true, they no longer want to talk to you anymore about the subject. And that's why some of you don't want to be here anymore. Because now we're starting to talk about truth. And so you can pick the doctrine. I've had people come in, man, I want to talk about this. Okay, let's talk about this. Blah, 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 blah. And then you show them some black and white stuff. Yeah, you know what? I got to go. I thought you had all day. Well, I only have all day so long as you agree with me. Come on now, you know I'm right. Beforehand, people are like, yeah, man, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. Okay, well, what are you going to do with this verse? Well, you know, I got to go. My, you know, I love my wife too much. <laughs> Some of y'all can interpret that, Amen. Well, back to Pilate, who's typical of so many today. He tried to demonstrate he was neutral about who Jesus was. Figuring the best way to deal with this is just to play politics. I'm neutral. Many don't like to be confronted with the truth about who Jesus is or the truth about heaven or hell or the truth about God's Word. So what they try to do is they try the neutral approach. These are the ones that... Never mind, my filter just worked. In Matthew's account, in chapter 27, when Pilate attempted to let Jesus go, he quickly understands that he's not going to get past the mob who's demanding for Jesus to be found guilty. And you remember what Pilate did? Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying... I am innocent of this blood. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. 
And Pilate, when he washed his hand and he said, I'm innocent, see ye to it. I believe that's many people right there. There's so many people that are like Pilate. Whenever conversations about Jesus or His Word come up, you'll often hear people try this approach. I've got my opinion. You see to it. You debate it if you want. Jesus, to me, He was probably a good man. He was probably innocent of whatever crime they were trying to accuse Him of. But you see to it. Don't bother me with it. I have my opinion. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I've searched for truth. I have my opinion. I've washed my hands of this subject. I'm done with church. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with all that religious stuff. Just leave me alone. People try avoidance when they don't really know what the truth is. But the problem is, when all is said and done, none of us in here today are escaping the truth. You can't just wash your hands of Jesus. He's not an exit on the interstate. He is a fork in your road. He's not just a milepost that you pass. He is a decision that you have to make. When you draw your last breath, that's it. Your fate is sealed. There is no purgatory. There is no holding place where you can spend X amount of time and be purged. You're either purged by the blood or you're not. And I'm just giving you Bible. I'm not giving you my opinion. You think I want to get up here and be... I'm just giving you truth. It's what God's Word says. And you're going to be faced with truth one way or the other. Now it's obviously the Lord's hope and it's my hope and this church's hope. All of God's children would hope that you get born again. Amen. That you would be, com- that you'd be convinced of what truth is before it's too late. You say, but I'm in church. I'm a good person. I, I'm not that bad. And I had a warm fuzzy when I was seven and I won the Sunday school thing. People, they, they have those moments and they think, I must be saved. Right? I mean, who's going to win a prize in Sunday school and not be saved? And you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not that bad. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what he's saying? Not everybody that's in church is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is, he- is in heaven, what is his will? It's that you believe on the name of Christ, that you be saved. That's His will for you. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? There's going to be preachers that are not saved. Lord, have I not preached in Your name? Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons? How could I do that if I wasn't saved? Many, many will say, in thy name have I done many wonderful works. Lord, I've made cookies and I've made meals and I've cleaned the church and I've done this and I've done that. You know what Jesus will say to those who don't know Christ? Don't know Him? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Depart where? Depart where? Is everybody with me? 
when, when Grayson passed and I preached his funeral, I remember asking the question, making the statement perhaps, it's not so much that Grayson died, but where did he go? Jesus says, depart from... Depart where? Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So listen, you can choose to avoid truth while you live this life if you want, but you will no longer be able to avoid truth when this life is over. You're going to stand before Christ one day, and in that day you'll have to admit the truth about who Christ is. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is truth? The truth is Christ is truth. The truth is the Word of God is truth. The truth is God sent Christ into the world, born of a virgin to live a sinless life, that He could be the perfect sacrifice, that He could shed His precious blood, that our sins might be washed away if we'll just come to Him in simple faith. And He was buried, and He rose again the third day, And then He ascended, and He's now at the right hand of the Father. That's the truth. And all you need to do is admit that you're a sinner, and that Christ is the only way of salvation. Admit that you have sin, and then admit that you need a Savior who is Christ. The truth is, whether you're trying to avoid the issue or not, you've already entered your opinion about who Christ is this morning. Because if you're sitting out there and you're saying, well, I think Jesus was probably a good fellow, you're just saying that Jesus was no different than any other man who's ever lived. You're still lost in your sins. The Bible says the sentence of God's wrath is resting upon you. And that sentence will be executed upon death if you don't turn to Christ. But I have good news, amen? God is long-suffering. That's why you're still alive. God is merciful. God is compassionate. He's not willing that any should perish. And He's giving you time. We don't know how long that time is. He's giving you time to change your opinion. To repent. To seek after Christ as your Savior. Have you settled it in your heart and mind? That Christ was God in the flesh who came to die to save you from your sins and the penalty for sin. God wants you to know truth. God wants you to be saved. You say, yeah, I believe all that. Maybe I should say, well, I know all that. If you know that to be true, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation? Have you? Grayson died at 25. We're not promised our next breath. If you were to die right now, where would you go? You know, God wants you to get that right today. Don't wait until it's too late.
I want to invite you to get right with God today. Don't wash your hands of it. Don't avoid it any longer. Don't just walk out on God. Don't just walk out of here saying, I have my opinion. Let's pray.